Please pray with me. Father, we just proclaimed that the word of the Lord is truth. And so we ask that you would wash us today in that truth of your word. That you would guide us and direct us, encourage us, convict us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So I have to wonder if anyone noticed how many times some form of the word love was used in today's readings. A lot, somebody says. In the first reading, 27 times in 15 verses. In the gospel, nine times. And so for a total of 36 times in just two readings, we heard some form of the word love. I'm going to talk about a little bit about the context of today's gospel. Brooke mentioned it, that this is the night before um, Jesus was betrayed. Uh, actually, chapters 13 through 17 are the longest biblical account of what took place in the upper room, the room where Jesus had gathered with his disciples for a meal. And when you look at these chapters, you can, you can see in them that Jesus has pulled away from public ministry. And now he's focusing in on the disciples. Chapter 13 begins with these words. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his, this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew his time was short. These chapters, these verses have a different kind of urgency from previous teachings because this is his last chance to instruct them. He's teaching and he's, he's giving them those. This is what I want you to remember above all because he knows his time is short. And so leading up to today's gospel. Okay, why won't this change? Okay. Are we there? Yeah. So leading up to today's gospel, Jesus has taken on the role of a servant when he washed the disciples' feet. He predicted that one of them would betray him. He did comfort them with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He promises them the Holy Spirit, the counselor, and he tells them he's going away. And yet they are to remain connected to him in the same way that a branch is connected to a vine. It has been a full evening, and Jesus knew it was time for him to leave this world and return to the Father. And I would imagine the disciples were confused, overwhelmed. Did he say he's going away? That might make them a little sad. This was a lot to take in in a short period of time. And so I wonder if they caught how many times he used some form of the word love. Listen again to the beginning of the gospel. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, he's already told them that 
previously to this time, that very evening. In chapter 13, he had said, a new command I give you, love one another. He will say it again in verse 17. It hit me unusually, you know, I've read these scriptures before, heard them many times, but the word command jumped out at me this time. I command you to love one another. To command, uh, for someone to have the ability to command means that they have the authority. They have the right to give an order. And they have the expectation that whatever's been commanded will be done. And along with the command is the unspoken expectation that there's a good reason for it. Moms, does that sound like parenting? (laughs) Along with this command is a good reason for it. So this morning we're going to consider one good reason it would be important for the disciples to be commanded to love one another. Imagine Jesus sitting in the room, looking around, looking at these 12 men that he has been spending time with. He knows their personalities. He knows their strengths and weaknesses. And he knows that it will be important for them to be united. One writer said this, The differences of temperament among them and the jealousies that had arisen over the positions which they expected to hold in the coming kingdom made their group unstable. Jesus knew that if they were to maintain an adequate testimony for him, they could do so only as a unit. When Jesus had said in chapter 13 to love one another, he added, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The thing that demonstrates to the world, the thing that will demonstrate to the world that they are his disciples is how they love each other. Some of you have heard me previously refer to a small book written by Francis Schaeffer called The Mark of a Christian. He says this, Notice that what Jesus says here is not a statement or a fact. It is a command which includes a condition. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And if this is involved, if you obey, you will bear the badge that Christ gave. But since this is a command, it can be violated. The point While it is possible to be a Christian without showing the mark, if we expect non-Christians to know that we are Christians, we must show the mark. John, in effect, is saying, don't forget this. Don't forget this. The command was given by Christ while he was still on earth. This is to be your mark. The mark of a Christian is that you love each other. Schaefer had said that it's not that we wear crosses. Back in the day, we wore the what would Jesus do bracelets. It's not that we show up for church every Sunday or every Bible study. These are great things and important things, but they are not the mark of a Christian. The true mark is how we love each other. So what does that look like? 
What would it look like for us, for each one of us, and for us as a church to bear the mark? One pastor from Sheboygan wrote an article one time called 37 Ways to Love One Another. And I thought, okay, this will be interesting. Maybe it will start with take someone to dinner, uh, buy them chocolate, buy them flowers, um, go to their favorite places, whatever. But the truth is his simple article, 37 Ways to Love One Another, was a simple list of 37 scriptures. I, uh, you can relax. We're not going to look at all 37 of them this morning. But we will look at a few of those to see what that would look like. In First Thessalonians, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. And a lot of these scriptures and a lot of the 37 scriptures are the words one another, each other. It's clear that this is life in community. This is um, not just for the disciples also. It's for us too. That one's pretty self-explanatory. We know what it means to encourage people and to build people up. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. Some translations say bear each other's burdens. We know also, I think, what that means, to support one another, to come alongside one another when someone's um, suffering with, with a burden. It might mean actually stepping in and taking meals or helping them with a home repair. There are several verses in Ephesians. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, bearing with one another in love. Be patient. Submit to one another. Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have toward one another. Forgive. That implies there are going to be things that need forgiving. John 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Pray for each other. I think that's one of the hallmarks of this church is that we are a praying church and that we are quick to pray for one another. One more. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. For those of us who uh, were here yesterday for the service for Martha Pierce, she embodied that scripture. She served people in love and joy, I would add. It was, it was just a natural outflow in her life to serve others. So here's our list of ways to love one another. Encourage, build up. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one one another in love. Submit to one another. Forgive. Pray for each other. And through love, serve one another. I believe as a church we do pretty good at these things. Individually, I can't say because that's your business. But as in the case with anything, there's always room to grow. There's always room to go deeper in these areas. 
Today is Mother's Day, and when I look at this list, I think of my mother. Um, I think of the encouragement my brothers and I received when she turned up for every band concert and every chorus concert and, and served in those uh, activities alongside us. I think of her patience teaching me how to sew and cook. I think of how she served our family day in and day out with a gentle, loving spirit. I think of women who I would consider spiritual mothers. I'm grateful for their prayers, for their willingness to come alongside me and help me carry my burdens. I believe now, more than ever, our world, our nation, our community needs to see every church, every group of Jesus followers living out Jesus' command to love one another. They need to see that we are Christians by our love, not for the glory it gives us, and not so they would just see. Francis Schaeffer went on to say, Christians have not always presented a pretty picture to the world. Too often they have failed to show the beauty of love, the beauty of Christ, the holiness of God, and the world has turned away. Is there then no way to make the world look again, this time at true Christianity? Must Christians continue to stand with arms folded, presenting to men and women a tarnished image of God, a shattered body of Christ? How should we show the world that we are Christians? That was written 51 years ago by a man who was known to be an example of the kind of love that marks true Christian character. He was known for loving the people who agreed with him and loving the people who disagreed with him. You've heard it said many times that these last couple of years have been hard, politically, racially, and with the uh, pandemic. And I've been very saddened by how divided our nation is. But at the same time, I've been more deeply saddened by how divided Christians are. There are many days I I wish we could go back to the days of no social media. I have seen examples of Christians not presenting a pretty picture to the world by what they post on social media. I've seen Christians refer to each to other Christians with words I won't repeat. I have a Christian friend who was judged publicly on Facebook because she supported someone who was running in a state election. And that person that judged her didn't support that person. Really? This is your sister in Christ. This is your brother in Christ.
This is not loving one another. This is not showing the world the beauty of love, the beauty of Christ, the holiness of God. I get it. It is hard. When the pandemic started, Ted and I made decisions kind of based on our comfort level with what we were willing to do and and not do. And at the same time, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a decision to support and love everybody, whatever their decision is. I have friends and family who took a no-risk lifestyle. Groceries delivered, no interactions with anybody else. I'll talk to you on the front lawn, but you're going to stand 30 feet away from me. And I've had friends who had much looser uh, risk level in their life. And I did pretty good for a little while, but it didn't take long before I would see a a picture on Facebook of a, a gathering of a large family gathering and nobody had masks on. And I was thinking, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Don't you know this is serious? You're nuts. Wait a minute. This is not loving. This is not accepting and respecting that person's decision. And it worked the other way, too. Aren't you being a little, uh, like, uptight about this? I mean, the virus is not going to jump out from a bush behind you and attack you. You can walk in the neighborhood without a mask on. Are you crazy? This is not very loving. Many times I had to stop myself and say, this isn't loving. These are people I love that I'm having these thoughts about. And I won't even get into the political arena. It has been very hard to be someone who loves one another. And so I don't think there's any surprise that Jesus looked at his disciples and commanded them to love one another. He knew their strengths and weaknesses just like he knows ours. He knew there would be times they would need to encourage one another. They would need to bear one another's burdens, pray for each other, forgive each other. He knew that going forward for them to demonstrate the beauty of love, the beauty of Christ, the holiness of God, would take a commitment to love each other. And I believe that as we go forward, as a church, as individuals who call ourselves Christians, in order to demonstrate the beauty of love, the beauty of Christ, and the holiness of God, it will depend on our commitment to love one another. Is there then no way to make the world look again, this time at true Christianity? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in this family called All Souls, you have given us genuine love for one another. And I thank you that we are a people who do encourage each other. We do carry one another's burdens and forgive and pray for one another. But, Lord, there's always more. We can always go deeper. And so I pray that we would walk more fully and more deeply that as it says in First Peter, we would love deeply from the heart that the world will see true Christianity. The world will see true Christianity. That we love one another.
in Jesus' name. Amen.